Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Let's talk about the holiday season where people expect things from the angelic realm and miracles and things like that. It's the perfect time to talk about it. You've done some work about miracles. Absolutely. I really do believe miracles are possible in our lives today, George, and I define a miracle very simply as a fortuitous circumstance that surpasses all expectation. And we do experience these things. We do experience exuberance. We do experience absurd, incredible good news. We experience synchronicities. And my question is, do we play any part in that? Do our minds play any part in that? And if so, how can we harness it? You know, I was going to ask you that. Do we create the miracle, or is there some entity, some power that does this for us? Well, I think there's both. You know, one of the things I'm studying in terms of ancient Egyptian spirituality, which mirrors a lot of things that many of us believe today, is that our minds are kind of capillaries of a greater, larger intellect. The Greeks called it nous. Ralph Waldo Emerson called it the overmind. And our minds are really a medium of creation. I think we are all inlets of a creative force. Next hour, folks, when we take calls with Mitch Horowitz, if you want to share your miracle stories with us, go ahead. We're going to do some of that on New Year's, Christmas Eve, and uh, Christmas night as well. But we can do that tonight as well. You believe that our thoughts can make us healthier, younger. How come? Yeah, there's no question in my mind of that. You know, there's a brilliant psychologist at Harvard, still living. Her name is Ellen Langer. And beginning in the 1980s, Langer conducted a series of experiments where she would place elderly people into settings where they felt really comfortable and at home, settings that evoked their youth. The media, the furnishings, the music, everything was intended to evoke the atmosphere and memories of their youth. And she measured their vital signs and found that they were not only feeling better in terms of more exuberance, better mood, lifting of depression, but there was lower blood pressure. There was uh, an increased muscle-to-fat ratio in their bodily mass. There was even improved eyesight. And her conclusion was that circumstances that evoke youth would not only make you feel younger, but actually have physical effects that reverse uh, things, maladies that we relate to, relate to aging. Now, when we deal with the miracle world, tell me about prayer. How important is prayer? I think it's vitally important, and I don't think people in my neck of the woods have put enough emphasis on the importance of prayer. Now, I tell people they should practice radical prayer, by which I mean they can pray in whatever style they want. Some people say you have to pray with a style of hopeful expectancy, and I honor that. But if you're feeling desperate, you can also fall to your knees and pray to any higher power of your choosing. I take that very, very seriously. And my experience has been, as, as has that of thousands of seekers over the past century, that uh, prayer works. Things happen when we pray. I think it's an escape hatch from the difficulties of life, and it should always be used. I think so, too. What about the angelic realm? How do you add them into the equation? I think that there are intelligences that are unseen, that aid us as intermediaries, that aid us in tapping the powers that course through us of this great creative mind. Some people call them angels, some people call them hidden masters, some people call them saints, some people call them adepts. Whatever terminology you use, we're all talking about contacting intermediaries that we can petition, unseen intelligences. I do think that's a part of life. No no doubt about that. You say that uh, people should deal with uh, bad company, friends, colleagues, workmates, 
who kind of mistreat them? And what do you recommend? I think, frankly, and I would ask everybody to take this to heart as we approach the holiday season, you have to be around people who feed you rather than deplete you. And you always have to remember at the end of the day, the company that you keep is your own choice. It's right. exquisitely powerful private choice. And even if you're in a situation where you want to get away from bad company and you feel you can't, either for financial reasons or familial reasons, you can still vow within to separate from these people mentally and at the first possible opportunity, separate physically. I don't think we talk enough about human cruelty, and I think it's very important to all of us to be around people by whom we feel nurtured. Well, that's a good idea, because these other people are energy sappers, aren't they? Like psychic vampires? Without question. Without question. I don't think we fully appreciate the extent to which people who don't support us really detract from our lives, our energies, our plans. That's sometimes why I tell people, when you have a really cherished goal, something that's really important to you, you don't have to share it with anybody else. You don't have to hold it out there for anybody else's approval or approbation. You can hold that silently within, and that's a more powerful act than we sometimes know. No question about it. We're with Mitch Horowitz talking about the the metaphysical world, miracles. We could also dabble in the occult a little bit, Mitch, can't we? Oh, for sure. I'd be delighted to. (laughs) Hitler loved the occult, didn't he? Well, it's a tricky question. You know, there were certainly people around Hitler, like uh, Rudolf Hess and Hermann Goering, um, Himmler, who were steeped in the occult in various ways. And some of the earliest formations of the Nazi party, of the fascist movement, drew upon occult symbols. There's no hiding that, and there's no running away from that. But at the same time, Gandhi, a great humanitarian leader, was also inspired by the occult. It's a question of what your code of ethics, what your code of reciprocity, what your code of honor is. When we tap into power, it's like fire. It can warm or it can burn. And that's where the individual has a profound ethical choice to make. Mitch Horowitz, tell us more about the the, the miracle side of the world again, uh, where you have said something very important, where we also create it. Oh, without question. And, you know, some people use the term manifest. I prefer to use the term select. I think we are selecting circumstances all the time. I think we live in an infinitude of possibilities, not unlike these invisible particles that are detected in in particle accelerators and in subatomic quantum experiments. I think if there are laws that hold sway in the particle world, they have to be universal. It doesn't mean we always experience them in the same way, but what we see in the particle world is an absence of time and an infinitude of position. I think that is a profoundly deep insight into how we lead our lives, into the greater psychology that controls our lives. And I think we're selecting events all the time without necessarily knowing it. Do you think angels are part of miracles? I keep thinking of that great movie, It's a Wonderful Life, with Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, I honor honor those stories, and I honor that paradigm very, very deeply. These things may be different depending upon different vocabulary. Uh, A Westerner might say an angel, um, an Easterner might say a genie, uh, somebody else might say a saint, somebody else might say a hidden master, a hidden adept. But there's no question that I do think that there are intermediary intelligences that we communicate with and that can serve as a kind of medium that can help us uh, harness the powers of this great higher mind. Well, there's no doubt about that. 
Now, since you've been dabbling in this area, what was it that got you so interested in what you do, Mitch? You know, I think as a kid, I had a very, very strong sense that there existed this other world alongside our own. And as I got a little older, I began to look in a more committed way into ESP research, just to name one area. And we have decades and decades of ESP research that demonstrates that human beings do have the capacity to glean information in laboratory settings in ways that go beyond the five senses. Call it what you will. Call it ESP. Call it some anomalous transfer of information. Whatever it is, it tells us that we have a non-physical existence. And I don't think we've begun to grapple with the real implications of that. You know, when people pray, who are they praying to? That's a wonderful question. You know, most of us in the West would say praying to God. But, of course, people all over the world have different concepts of this. You know, in Buddhism, you have ideas of a higher mind. In ancient Greek and Egyptian philosophy, again, you have the ideas of a higher mind. Some people will use intermediaries to try to contact this higher mind. In African tradition, you have all kinds of different gods and local deities. Here in the West, in some of the Christian traditions, we have saints. We'll talk about guardian angels. We'll talk about demons. We'll talk about uh, hidden masters. So... You know, we're not alone. I don't think we're without invisible help. I think at moments in life where we feel desperate, there's prayer, and there's also the petitioning, I think, of unseen energy forces. Our ancient ancestors gave them names like Minerva or Jupiter or Set or Aphrodite, and I I believe that they had a really deep understanding of nature, both physical and metaphysical. What about the old gods? Who are they? Well, I sometimes think that I have an expression, the old gods are lonely. <laughs> this pantheon of gods that you know, predate all of our modern religions. And I don't think our primeval ancestors were fools. Are these like the Greek gods? Exactly, like the Greek gods. But you could look at gods from other civilizations, like Egypt, for example. Sure. And I don't think our primeval ancestors were fools. I think what they did was they personified certain energies that they came to understand existed within nature. So Mercury, for example, became a god of commerce, of writing, of ideas. Uh, The ancient Egyptians venerated Thoth, also a god of, of writing and commerce. In fact, in many ways, Thoth and Mercury are really the same archetype. If there's a deity from the ancient pantheon that you as an individual resonate with, I would encourage you to explore that. I would encourage you to drop all embarrassment, go into private, maybe try saying a prayer to that deity. See what happens. It could be one of the most extraordinary turning points of your life. When we take calls next hour, Mitch, I'm sure we're going to get some incredible stories of miracles and intervention as well. Uh, I've always wondered when people have these incredible stories of intervention, uh, do they kind of summon these people? these angels, these entities, or do these entities, are they following us like guardian angels should? That's a very, very interesting question. You know, the philosopher William James, who's really my intellectual hero, said he saw no reason why the individual's capacity for belief didn't strengthen the presence of these beings in our lives. So he thought there was a kind of symbiotic relationship going on, and that the individual's placing of stock in these kind of invisible helpers was itself the force that would bring them into our lives. 
Mitch Horowitz with us. Your website is his name, MitchHorowitz.com. A couple of his books include The Miracle Club and Secrets of Self-Mastery. Tell me about The Miracle Club, Mitch. The Miracle Club has been a really exciting book for me. In fact, it just got translated into Spanish, which I'm very happy about. Uh, that is the first really practical book that I wrote. Prior to The Miracle Club, I wrote primarily as a historian, but I always classified myself as a believing historian. I participate in the esoteric spiritual movements that I write about. And when I wrote The Miracle Club, I felt it was time to put my cards on the table, so to speak, and let people know what I really believe, what I really practice, what is really part of my search. So it's a very practical book, and it's been a great experience for me. You have said one thing that is just so profound, and that is before you go to sleep, visualize your goal. Yes. I've been a believer in that all my life, but why does it work? You know, it's really extraordinary. In those few moments just before we drop off to sleep, it's a state that sleep researchers call hypnagogia. We're incredibly relaxed. We experience dreamlike visions, hallucinations, we might hear noises, but we still have control over our cognition. Even with our eyes closed, we can still direct our thoughts. Psychical researchers have found that this is prime time, so to speak, for ESP-related activity. Sleep researchers have been researching this, this state of hypnagogia, and it is a period of time in which your rational defenses are lowered. So you can allow in influences, ideas, insights, intuitions that might not always be able to penetrate the rational apparatus of the mind. You can also use that as a period of time to repeat a mantra to yourself, an affirmation to yourself, and recondition your subconscious. Because very often, affirmations and mantras don't work because we don't find them convincing. We say, oh, no, that's not true. I don't look that way. I don't sound that way. I don't earn that way. But when the rational defenses of the mind are down, we're much more able to persuade ourselves of the ideals that we want to live by. Uh, exactly. Now, what is the psychology of clothing? What does that mean? You know, I have begun to try to lower the barrier between what we understand as inner and outer in our lives, or essence and personality. It's all part of one whole. And I encourage people that one way they can really tone their psyches, one way they can feel more confident, more relaxed, more powerful, is to not feel guilty about paying attention to their outer appearance. That doesn't mean conformity. That doesn't mean conforming to something you see on television or what have you. What it means is feeling entirely yourself, asking yourself with real frankness, how do I want to dress? What story am I telling? What do I want to project into the world? And if you can allow yourself the freedom to do that and to act on it, you will find that change runs through your whole being. We broadcast live on the holidays, Mitch, uh, on the eves and on the uh, holiday night uh, because of what you believe, and that is a lot of people are out there, they are lonely. Yes. What do you recommend? I do know that the holidays can be a very lonely time for people, and my, my heart goes out to people in that situation. What I ask people to do first and foremost is to be absolutely sure that they want to be with other people. They're comfortable being with other people. Sometimes we hide within cocoons. We call it loneliness. We call it isolation. But we've kind of cut ourselves off. We've hidden ourselves from other people. And once you make the decision that you really want to be with somebody, whether it's just friend to friend or whether it's romantically, whatever it may be, you can then begin to really open yourself to influences in a conscious, knowing, affirmative way. Make sure that you're getting away from bad company. Don't dwell in the ruins, 
so to speak. Don't dwell among people who don't have your same ideals. Open yourself up. And I do believe there are forces, including higher mental forces, that will come to your aid. There may be an interval. I can't guarantee something's going to happen right away, but your life will begin to move in a more positive direction. And you believe, of course, that ESP has a lot to do with this. There's no question. You know, someone once proposed to me that maybe all this positive thinking that we talk about is really just another word for ESP or telepathy. Maybe we're constantly reaching out to other people, trying to get us people, trying to get people to meet us halfway, trying to get people to help us out in certain ways, offering ourselves up for relationships to others that are reciprocal. I've had just amazing experiences in my life, as I'm sure some of the Coast listeners have, where I will get really clear about exactly what I want, and suddenly somebody seems to come to me and bring right to my feet the very, very thing that I'm looking for. Exactly. Absolutely uncanny, but it requires real clarity. How does that happen? Boy, it's an interesting one, George, but I suspect, I suspect that... We do live in a world where not only are there infinite possibilities at play from which we select, but we do communicate in an extra-physical manner. We do pass information back and forth to one another in a way that goes beyond the five senses. We have indelible evidence of that in laboratory settings, and I think that's the ESP of everyday life. I think we are communicating with people. There's a lot of other intervening factors. A lot of emotions get in the way. A lot of circumstances get in the way. But I do believe we are in communication with each other. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.